You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Hello, Be The Bridge family, community. I am so excited um, to bring um, to the mic, or as you would say, to the table, um, to the podcast today, um, a friend um, that I've known for um, a few years now um, and a, a bridge builder. Um, and I am so excited to introduce this voice. Some of you may have heard of her, but if not, you will hear of her after this. And um, Mekdes Hadith um, is here. And Mekdes is the founder and executive coach of Just Missions. It's an online community that elevates um, diaspora voices and equips Western allies to become mutual partners for the work of the gospel. She's originally from Ethiopia. She moved to the United States in 2003 and earned a BS in communications from um, our alma mater, Liberty University. Oh, look, I said that now. Yeah. Um, I was hiding it now. <laughs> and a master's degree in organizational leadership from Columbia International. National University. She is also a project director um, for um, an effort on racial justice and reconciliation. Um, she has worked in several churches, building discipleship, outreach strategies that are holistic in their approach and include people in the margins. Margins. She and her family live in South Carolina. And it's so funny because um, when I read this, Mekdes, I was like, wait a minute, she lives in Charlotte. I know. We're so close to Charlotte. She's so close to Charlotte. Um, I've had the opportunity when she was on staff at a church to go and speak. And she was leading um, Be the Bridge groups at that time. And so we've kept in contact. And um, we have several mutual friends. And she just wrote a book, um, A Just Mission. And um, I think this is uh, an important book um, for us to know about and understand and really hear from someone who has um, grown up in Ethiopia um, and just just the way that we do missions. And this is something that's, um, that's, that's that you know that is um, important for me because having um, gone to Africa, um, Panama, Venezuela, mm-hmm. um, you know, several countries and um, also doing some missions work I've seen and gone with other organizations, but I've seen some of the impact, some, some good and some bad mm-hmm. impact of that. Um, and I, one of the things that stood out to me, just I will never forget, is when um, people were introducing themselves mm-hmm. and they were saying, oh, my name is Diane, my name is Chip, or my name is Bert, and my name is 
you know, Chloe or Catherine and all these things. And, um, and I just was like, I was puzzled by that. And then sometimes they would say, oh, well, this is my Christian name mm-hmm. or this is my baptism name. And, you know, and I'm just thinking like, okay, Ch- Chuck is not a Christian name. Like, what? You no, know, that's your European name, yeah. or that's your Western culture name. Mm-hmm. And um, those are just some of the grave mistakes that um, white Christian nationalism, that white supremacy, has mm-hmm. done all over the globe. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that it did not happen in Ethiopia. So I would really love for you to give your thoughts on that. And maybe some of you who are listening, you've witnessed the same thing. Um, and maybe you haven't really thought about it because you're like, oh, well, it's, you know, that name, um, you can easier pronounce it or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's pride in that name because there's been a, a really a fallacy in how that's been communicated and the theology around that, where, you know, I meet people from Rwanda and they have beautiful Rwandan names. And then I will say, what does that name mean in Rwanda? And they say, blessed of God. Um, that is your Christian name. <laughs> like, like what? <laughs> like um, yeah. Christianity is not Western culture, you know? And so, um, so I know there's just a lot of things that you've seen. And um, I, before we go there, I want, I want to know, why did you feel the need to write this book? Yeah, thank you so much, Tasha, first of all, for having me here. It's such an honor. Um, And yeah, the reason I thought it was important to have this conversation was because of how uh, the mission uh, movement is fully monopolized by Western culture and theology and tradition. So as somebody who, you know, was raised in a Christian home in Ethiopia with a dad who's an Ethiopian Orthodox and my mom is Ethiopian Evangelical Christian. Um, I just, my worship of the Lord and my discipleship was not Western at all, you know? (laughs) And so coming to the U.S. and trying to disciple new believers in the way that I was discipled just um, was not fruitful because people are, you know, they expect a certain type of person to come with a certain type of way to lead them in their spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and my like desire to partner with, you know, churches while I was in college or even afterwards to do some work, to go back home and serve my own, um, community or even serve communities here in the United States, I realized like the way missions was done was so economically oriented. It's about the poor and the rich. It's not about like Mm. people who don't know Jesus and Jesus. So mission has become like synonymous to the haves going to the have nots and making Mm. impact that makes the haves feel good, you know, rather Mm. than what we see in the Bible where, you know, people are going and telling the world about the love of Jesus, the joy, you know, mm-hmm. the freedom they found. So it's not necessarily something we do in the Western culture because we've experienced miracles that mm-hmm. we cannot contain ourselves. We want to go to the world and tell them. But it's a, it has become about, you know, we have money 
too much of it and we almost feel guilty if we don't share it with you know people that don't have so mm. it kind of became we it has become i think all of us like our brain goes to when we say mission we think about what do i have i can give mm. people it's about like financial possession status mm. and so i thought it was such an important conversation to have if the Western church is going to continue being a part of the conversation of global missions, because those of us who are coming from the global South as missionaries in the world are not being sent with our monthly salaries being sent from our churches or organizations supporting us. We are, you know, immigrants and refugees, and we are the people that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, um, you know, Western Christians don't want to associate with, you know, they don't want to, deal with our issues um and so it's really important to have to have this conversation and redefine what mission is it, it is a spiritual calling for each believer to undertake and also like put it in a different category than philanthropy because philanthropy western philanthropy has taken over the mission movement and it's just not that powerful uh mm-hmm. tool that jesus you know gave us to say go into all the nations and share the gospel like the gospel has been institutionalized and it's powerless in its current form going from the west to the rest of the world in my opinion Um, Mm. but also we have so one of the reasons i wrote the book is first of all let's strengthen the message the western church is taking to the west of the rest of the world because the message has become secularized, but also let's prepare the Western church to receive missionaries that are coming from the rest of the world, because we are the immigrants, we are the refugees, we are the people that you're having political debates about, but you're, we're your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are called to receive. And, you know, um, we're coming with messages that are going to revamp and, you know, rejuvenate the, the spiritual a condition of the Western church. So that mm. is the biggest, the biggest factor. Wow. Wow. And I don't think we, and that is so true. When we think of the word missions, that is not what we're thinking about. It's like those who have given to those who we deemed it don't have, you know? Yeah. And when we look at this scripturally, that is not, I mean, you mm. have um, all different classes of people that are coming to faith and yeah. coming to faith by all different types of people, you know, and I think that's a, um, an adjustment in our ideology and in our perception, um, Mm -hmm. that needs to happen. And that's definitely, um, a conversation now growing up, like in Ethiopia, I know you've had two different experiences as it relates to, um, your parents. Um, what are some of the things that you've, you've seen, um, where you think missions have, hurt um um, ethiopia yeah so that's actually uh, it's ethiopia has such a unique um you know Mm -hmm. history because it's one of the ancient christian countries so for Mm -hmm. anybody that says christianity is a white man's religion yeah i would say go and visit the ancient ethiopian churches Mm -hmm. you know that have been there for centuries yeah before any white man ever came into Africa. Right. So um, so it's such a, an interesting dynamic. So it's Ethiopian Orthodox. It's an Eastern Orthodox religion. It came Where directly, Christianity was birthed. 
Let's... where Christianity was directly birthed. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so we have uh-huh. this beautiful tradition that um, we have. And as a country who is um, mainly Christian, you know, the interesting thing is we also take pride in being the the safest country for uh, Muslims to migrate to um, when Muhammad, you know, told them like to go and find safety somewhere else he sent them to ethiopia and the reason he did and this is like in muslim you know in in that religion this is something they talk about as the safest place for them to find refuge so in ethiopia muslims and christians have lived peacefully for centuries and it's so interesting because it is the hospitality of Christians that has allowed this, even, you know, people of different religion to come and live. And so there's like this sense of pride and being such a hospitable culture. Mm-hmm. So as much as, you know, we're Christians, we love, you know, God and we believe in the Trinity and all of that. But there is no animosity to people of different faith. Right you know, mm-hmm. to come and reside. And I think that reflects the the power and nature of, you know, the gospel. But, uh, and so, um, and uh, Ethiopian evangelicalism just is about 75 years old in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not introduced to us until a Dutch missionary came to Ethiopia, you know, 75 years ago and did, uh, you know, did that. Um, and so there, you know, there is like, uh, tales about how early on missionaries tried to come to Ethiopia, but they were not welcomed, you know, because we already had her Christianity. Right. But so why are you coming? Like <laughs> Exactly. So I always like critique this and say there wasn't like an effort to come and kind of work with the Orthodox Church and kind of say, hey, like, what can we do to further Christianity? Yeah, like, no, you're doing it the wrong way. Exactly. There <laughs> needed to be like a new way to introduce the gospel mm-hmm. to Ethiopia. So historically, the northern part of Ethiopia has been more Christian and the southern part has been like um, traditional worship, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. It, it wasn't... So it could some people would say it's paganism. Some people would say we just worship God in a different way. Um, But so the gospel in its Western form, you know, was introduced to the South because there wasn't a presence of Christianity there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where, you know, so the interesting thing is historically because the South adopted a Western religion and then the North, you know, had the Ethiopian um, ancient Orthodox practice, there became this animosity between the two, the North and the South, which Mm -hmm. still continues. It's really interesting. So whenever somebody would come to know the Lord through the evangelical church, if they came from, you know, a family that has, like my family, like my mom, who grew up, who, you know, her families from the north therefore like traditionally christianity has been passed down she was like crucified for it you know she Mm -hmm. went through persecution because they couldn't understand why she was adopting a culture and a christianity that was the white man's religion basically so it was almost as if she was turning herself away from being an ethiopian not just a christian they they like the orthodox christians still 
don't really see, you know, even Ethiopian evangelicals as true Christians Mm -hmm. and evangelical Christians also have this pride of like, no, we have the true gospel. So that animosity was really there. So there was no like effort to reconcile and kind of build a kind of this economic, mm-hmm. economical, you know, I, I can't say that word well, but <laughs> yeah, but you know, that type of um, brotherhood or sisterhood in the body of Christ, because we're all believers, it just became the North versus the South white man's religion versus like the the ancient prideful like Christianity that we have till this day it exists. So it was confusing as uh, Western evangelicalism was growing from the South and kind of moved into the big city in the capital, you know, where I was born and raised. My mom, who was a devout uh, Orthodox, became, you know, chose to follow Jesus as an evangelical because she was raised in a missionary school, interestingly. Both my dad and mom went to missionary boarding schools growing up. So they both were exposed to, you know, Western Christianity. So anyways, she came to know the Lord um, and became a disciple as an evangelical, which she was the most devoted follower of Christ. Therefore, she took us to church with her growing up. So I grew up in the evangelical tradition. I have no, like, I have no, like, connection to the Orthodox Church because, you know, I grew up going to church with my mom. So I still consider myself an Ethiopian evangelical Christian. Um, So it's kind of an interesting, you know, journey. But there is a part of me that feels like I was, there was like, a, you know, a beautiful culture that I couldn't participate in because of this animosity. So I can't just walk into an Orthodox church and be like, hey, can I experience worship with you guys? There are like, there are mm-hmm. rules and traditions that you have to adhere to. So um, it's really interesting to me, like when my dad takes me to church, of course, I like wear my you have to wear a shawl and cover your head, you mm-hmm. know, as a woman, when you go in, uh, there are special prayers and liturgies that, you know, people are, learn from childhood that mm-hmm. I am, I don't know. So there is a part of me that feels robbed of, mm-hmm. you know, my own culture and the tradition that was mm-hmm. passed down from my family. But I will say, you know, I did come to know the Lord and pursue, um, you know, a relationship with him through the evangelical church. So I have a lot of love and, a passion for that. Um, the beauty in the Ethiopian evangelical church, I will say, is that at, because um, of communism, all the Western um, religious leaders were kind of, um, for them, it would be persecution, but they were kicked out of Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And the church went underground during that time. And so what happened was, mission because missionaries left, we had the opportunity to customize or contextualize our theology for it to become a true Ethiopian evangelical theology. Mm -hmm. So that actually allowed us, there was about 30 years of communist ruling, and that actually allowed Ethiopian Christianity, like um, evangelical Christianity, Mm -hmm. to contextualize and grow and mature into what it is today. Um, so yeah, a little bit of history, (laughs) but that's good. I think context is important. And then, you know, when you saw my face, when you said, you know, Dutch missionaries, because I'm like, Oh, look, if you read about Dutch missionaries, um, just over the continent of Africa, I mean, 
yeah. just havoc, you yeah. know, like there's a lot to repent of, you know, yeah. when you think about even Dutch reform and um, mm-hmm. South Africa, you know, like yeah. it's it's a very, um, yeah, a lot of those spaces, it has been done with, you know, white Christian nationalism yes. that is laced in white supremacy. Yes. Um that at at the the foundation of it mm-hmm. and, and those mm-hmm. beliefs. And so there's a lot there. We don't have time to unpack all of that. <laughs> um but that is something, you know, um and I know even for some of you hearing this, you know, even the word evangelical when you're hearing that, because it has um a different context for a lot of different people. Um, I didn't grow up using that word. We used the word Christian. Yeah. It wasn't until I was exposed more into um, what you would call predominantly white church that I heard mm-hmm. the word evangelical as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, in the black church tradition, we don't typically use that word um, as as much. Um, so I know for some people that can be a word that's very triggering because it has a lot of, in America, that word has a lot of um, um, partisanship. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say partisanship, political um, con- context, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. it, you know. So, um, but I think that's really important for you to kind of explain um, that. I was just looking at a documentary and it really talked about the um, Orthodox Ethiopian church and some mm-hmm. of the t- traditions and um, yeah. all of that. And, um and, you know, answering that question that, you know, Christianity is not a white man's religion, um, mm-hmm. but it has been hijacked yes. in the Western culture by um, white Christian nationalists, yes. you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think that's important. And so um, tell me a little bit, um, you know, about um, just, you know, when you talk about some of the organizations that you're you. Um, that you've been working with as it relates to global missions in a way that we can do this better. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I know because, you know, we're, it's like, it's one thing to, to tell people about Jesus and export Jesus, you know, but along with that, we also export our ideology. Mm -hmm. We also export our culture. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing when you were saying, when the church went underground, there was an opportunity to contextualize, you know, um, the gospel with your culture, because like, that's, you know, it's like, there's certain things, even when, um, I wanted to go to a Rwandan wedding and it was at a, a, a church we were, I wanted to see, cause I see, you know, different weddings and different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so they have different things that they do. And so we were just kind of looking through the window. The person was getting married. And it was like a very, because it was happening in a church that was probably founded by um, um, American Christians. The wedding was very traditional to to Mm -hmm. what we would see in Western culture, which I know that's not the Rwandan culture, (laughs) you know? And so those are just things that get lost and displaced, like as far as, um, you know, even hair, how we deal, you know, we have to have the crown act here Mm -hmm. in America as it relates to hair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I know in Rwanda, they were really trying, like, um, when they became Christians, they had to um, also rid themselves of, 
um, traditional hairstyles, you know, mm-hmm. traditional clothes, yeah. traditional names, um, you know, the, the way of doing things to do it more Western. Yeah. And that is like a white supremacist type yeah. ideology when you're, you know, what does yeah. that, what does me, the gospel yeah. have to do with how I have my hair? Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, nothing. But yeah. I'm just saying, those are yeah. some of the things that just, just, break my it breaks my heart you know but just so, sometimes we're like oh this is familiar and we like it and we embrace it but no I want to hear how you worship God in your language yeah. and in your tongue and in your culture what yeah. does this look like for you in your God-given context you know mm-hmm. this is what it looks like for for, yeah. for us you know and I think maybe someone um, culturally who has been stripped of that because through the Atlantic slave trade, maybe that's, you know, more mm-hmm. important for me. What are, what are some of your thoughts as yeah. far as, um, organizations that you're working with mm-hmm. making sure that those mistakes don't happen? Yeah. You know? So, um, there is, uh, you know, the concept of, um, the doctrine of discovery, right. Yes. And mm-hmm. it is so embedded in the mission movement. So that's something that I spend time, working with you know people um on that topic so for those that might not be familiar with it you know in short the doctrine of discovery is what christopher columbus did when he came to you know the 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 states the northern north america and he saw that land was beautiful but then he saw that it was already inhibited by a group of people so the only way that um it was going to be quick to take over this land was to uh, dehumanize the people that had take, you know, were already in possession of this land, which were Native Americans. And so he went back and told them basically the people that he was getting ready to bring, you know, and sell land to and all of that, that these were barbarians. These were not really human. They were less than human. Um, And so the, the, you know, the common human, uh, love or decency that you would give now your your mentality is that you're dealing with animals basically people that cannot survive on their own they need you to be able to either save them or to lead them and if they don't get in line then you just destroy them because you are the superior uh, race or you are the the one that you know, is deserving of inhibiting this land. So basically that's in a short what happened to the Native Americans that were here when, you know, uh, migration to the U.S. started happening. And so that same mentality is really embedded in current, you know, organizations, missional organizations. They're, they're not doing it intentionally, but it's that mindset is embedded in there where they're thinking, if I don't go, if if we don't go and plant a church here or we don't go and reach them, these people are going to be like, you destroyed like they need a savior and they associate the savior jesus with themselves or their culture and so they go in with these great intentions and tasha i learned this from you always say like intentions and impact like you you talk about that a lot and so like our good intent does not always produce you know good good impact and so they go with these great intentions, but the impact is brutal. You know, you're destroying cultures like you just mentioned. You're taking away people's identity. You're taking away their names. You're taking away the way they worship their God in their 
mother tongue. And so there needs to be this relinquishing of control to go back, to go to these places. If God is truly calling you to be a missionary around the world, there needs to be a way that you approach that with uh, this kind of curiosity that says, what is God doing there? So replace the doctrine of discovery with, you know, the doctrine of like common grace. God has revealed himself to all people and all cultures, and we are able to see him and worship him wherever we go. If we truly believe that he is all powerful, almighty, he created all things, then how can we think that people groups that we've never interacted with because we haven't interacted with them. They have not seen God or know him. You know, he made them in his image. So we have to replace it with, you know, that mindset of, okay, I'm going to go and see what God is doing there first. And I'm going to figure out how he wants me to participate, not go with languages like we're going to go into the other parts of the world and flag the, you know, plant the flag of Jesus there. It's like, yeah. like you're going on a spaceship. Yeah. And it's, going like to, it's, yeah, it's like dominance. Yeah. And, which, and you see those things in their mission statements sometimes, you know, yeah. so those are the things I help people figure out is like, what is the language you're using? Why do you use this? What is this, this embedded, so group, you know, that you have about these people groups that they need you more than they need God, you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they have him, you know, you have something to work with. If you would only go and learn and see him and what that does is when you do that, when you interact with God in other cultures, your worship of him just explodes into a new dimension yes. you know you get yeah. to see how little you are and how big yes. he is you know so it's also a breakthrough for you it's mm-hmm. like you're getting out of this bondage of self-worship by going it's an advantage to you and the advantage for them might be something maybe but really it really there's a lot it does for for the one going um and so those are some of the things that i work you know If you've been enjoying and learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, we invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurrent partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel so if you haven't gotten your be the bridge hat sweatshirt all of the things let's take the message to the street visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that be the bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our posts, those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, So join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much.
I was just thinking, you know, as you were talking, like, it's so much, like, at the crux of this, this superiority, American exceptionalism, um, supremacy, it, at the, the foundation of that is that of greed and difference and, and really control and dominance, you know? Exactly. And, and, and so if you feel like, you know, God is showing up because you're there or your organization is there or your church is there, yeah. that's when you know you need to stay home. You know? Exactly. And no, no, really. You need to stay yeah. home and you need to really, um, really beckon God to replace that mindset set with that of humility um, because mm-hmm. you're looking through the long, wrong lens. And that is how yeah. we plant churches a lot of times in America and communities. I see um, commercials of churches coming and, you know, and it's like, God is here because we're here or, you know, we're going to yeah. take the city for Jesus. And, uh, like, yeah. what, Have you even paused and said, what is God already doing and how mm-hmm. God is already moving? Who mm-hmm. are the people that God is already using? What are the yeah. churches that God is this there already that mm-hmm. God is using, but maybe they need some additional resources or support or some uh, asset development or, or, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Or, or some prayers, you know, like, you know, exactly. But, prayers are, yeah, exactly. but you feel like you could show up with your, the money machine and oh, this place, yes. you know, even some of the churches that have been there for decades that understand the community and, um, and I, you know, but I'm just, I'm going to get off subject now, but this is something that's been <laughs> eaten at me back then. <laughs> like, and, me. I, and I just want to say it, you know, it's one of the things that's like, you know, there's churches everywhere, especially here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, all, all, you know, Texas, when I lived there, North Carolina, like all the things, there's churches everywhere. But when I see a church, um, you know, because sometimes church buildings and some of these facilities are a lot cheaper in underserved communities, you know, or communities mm-hmm. that have been impacted by mm-hmm. um, white flight or mm-hmm. um, desegregation, um, poverty, um, the the war on drugs, like all these things. There's a lot of complex yeah. of issues. And so just because you can get a building that's cheaper yeah. in that area, but when you plant a church and you're not considering the people in the five mile radius in how yeah. you plant that church, the exactly. culture of that church, how you staff that church, how the worship is done in that church. Why are you planting a church in an area where the yeah. church is so disconnected from the community, from the people. From the people. And I think that's what happens, yeah. you know, it, even in global missions, even how we, it's a, also a reflection of how we do church planning here in America, where you yeah. see churches in these areas and thinking you're bringing the presence of God, where if you would have just paused and, and really said, how can we support the churches that are already there? Mm-hmm. What might God be saying yeah. You know, how can we do this differently? You know, and and is your presence, you know, if you've been there 20 years or 10 years or so, has your presence changed the community? Yeah. Or does mm-hmm. your church still look like 
what you what you're used Suburban. to yeah yeah <laughs> you know what you're used to you know yeah so i mean what and, do you say you know, about that what are you thinking does it upset you does i it- <laughs> mean it's interesting you brought that up because honestly my last job that i had before i transitioned uh-huh. into doing this was literally that and what made me want to write this book because you know uh-huh. i've been in discipleship ministry in majority white mega churches and have led efforts but my last role was to help our church think through how to go into a community that is majority immigrants and you know people of color all around and be a presence like that is that makes life better. So we were working on making this beautiful uh, community center, uh-huh. and our I was leading a listening project where we were just meeting up with pastors and leaders and just making all these promises. Like we want to be as humble, open handed as possible. And COVID hit, and all the plans just went out the window. And what we essentially what the decision that came down. The pipe was, for financial reasons, we cannot afford to contextualize basically the ministry that we're going to do there. So we're going to make this campus whatever everything else that we've done is going to look like. So that told me, for me personally, I was like, okay, so people that don't have money always come last. We're always, you know, the church institutions, especially these large ones, are going to serve those that are going to continue giving, you know, or, you know, providing your daily bread or paying for your salary. So I was like, you know what? I cannot be a part of this anymore Mm. and decided to walk away from that. And it was one of like, just one of the, you know, projects I was super passionate about because it was going to be a resource center for immigrant, like teams that don't have, you know, role models in the community. Mm. And we were going to have like just all type of stuff built into that space that was going to serve the community. And we were going to be a community center that just has a church that meets on Sunday rather than like a church that meets on Sunday. And then there's like an empty building basically sitting all, all throughout the week when you could be doing so much, you know, for that community with this space that you have. And so that's like the really sad thing. So we're almost like facilitators of gentrification when we do that. It's almost like, yeah. oh, the suburb is coming this way. It's a ne- the next church planting location. Yeah. That's the mentality. Yeah. Rather than what is God doing in these communities yeah. and how are we going to be able to just be with him, like worship him with the work that he's given us. And it's so completely different. And like you said, like church mm. planting is one of, And it really relates to, you know, I talk about this in the book. One of the things I talk about is like the the missionaries that we that don't fit this context of raise money, go into different parts of the world. They're already here. Those are the the pastors, immigrant pastors, Mm. you know, black pastors in in spaces that nobody goes to. They're already doing the work that needs to be done. Your heart, you know shows when you whether you partner with them or not so if we're talking about raising up leaders they're the ones raising up the next generation you know america is becoming more and more brown and black those are the people that are say that too lightly because boys (laughs) people take offense to that like and if you know and if that makes you uncomfortable if you're listening to this and it makes you uncomfortable 
there is something wrong. Yeah. And that's something for you to to ask yourself, why does that make me uncomfortable? And really as well as a Christian, because if we're talking about eternity, like you're going to be really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, yes. When we yeah. think there's about a that, lot of there's a lot of brown people, like, you yeah. know, and, and, and just a reminder, uh, Jesus was brown, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, exactly. and so people are, if you're uncomfortable with that, you may be uncomfortable with Jesus. I mean, just frankly, yeah. and I think those are just things that are a part of our society and the way society has cued us and the way Christianity has cued us that we really mm-hmm. have to reimagine and ask yes. ourselves those hard questions and, you know, not plant churches based on where the new coffee shop is, is you know, yes. and, and, and base that. But how are you supporting um, the churches um, in that community that have been there that may not have the resources that don't they don't have the budget you know um how is that and that's just something that's just really been on my heart and then where it's like sometimes like I'm like instead of maybe God is not saying that you need to plant or you need to go maybe you need to partner and um and combine you know, I've yes. heard of exactly. some be the bridge churches where it's like congregations combining because yeah, yeah. together they have the resources to mm-hmm. do more um, if we can get out of our own way as far yes. as like um, dominance and, and, you know, wanting to held all the leadership and all those things, you know, that, yes. that typically get in a way if it's going to be better for uh, when we say the kingdom of God. And so I think, yes. you know, um, what you're talking about um, in this book is, is so needed. What is something that you really want um, churches to really take from um from just mission. And when you say just a just mission, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do you mean by just mission? Mm-hmm. And what do you really want churches to leave with when they finish reading your book? Yeah. So a just mission is a mission work that is consistent with, you know, Jesus's mission to re um, restore what was broken. Right. And so when, wherever we go, our focus needs to be what is broken, whether it is, you know, the systems that we're operating within, whether it is cultures, I think for, a, a for Western mission, a lot of times what, because of their cultural context, because it is a wealthy culture, they see what's broken as what is lacking financially or physically. Therefore, the the way they restore is by giving money. So if you're poor, you don't have Jesus. That's that's basically the equation. And so, yeah. And so when when you talk about that, and so there's you know I, there's a chapter that talks about money um, in my book, and that's one of the biggest you know I think most important chapters because we really need to re-examine like why we worship money more than we worship God. I think it's because I grew up in a place where I just saw so much joy where people didn't have anything. So I don't equate my joy with money or possessions. And I think that's just the gift of being in a place where I was mentored by, you know, grandmas that lived, you know, in like tiny little homes that right next to ours or something like that, where, you know, I just, saw people in in their full dignity, not because of what they had, because 
what you have is temporary. It's not like an eternal thing. You can't, you can't even be buried with it, you know? So it's just such an interesting concept. So and Mark, I'll leave, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll share the scripture and kind of, um, wrap it up at Mark 12, uh, 41, Jesus talks about, um, you know, the, this woman, the widow with a, a dime. And he looks, he says like, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd, putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich, rich people threw in large amounts. So he made a point to, to tell us there were rich people that threw in large amounts, but a, a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And Jesus embraced that. That was, that's what he wants. You know, he wants us to give out of our poverty, out of what we do not have. So this sacrificial giving of our time, you know, sacrificial giving of our energy, whatever it is, that's where the heart issue is. And so if you're not a true follower of Jesus, you have no business going anywhere in the world and trying to like evangelize. So what is it that you do not have that you can give even in your home? Like if you do not have patience, but you're practicing that with your children, with your husband, you know, if you do not have whatever it is, but that you're trying to live out with the power of the Holy Spirit as a believer who is called, you know, to be a light to the world, that is first and foremost, what is important and what brings justice to the world, you know? And so even when we look at like the, you know, the Western church dynamic where we're still divided by faith, we worship as white and black individuals and immigrants and all that stuff, like in all our segregation. If we're not able to work that out as a church body, as Christians here in America and think outside of, you know, being discipled by our the, our favorite news channel that we follow, we have no business going anywhere in the world and saying, let me tell you about this Jesus. If you're doing that without creating reconciliation, restoring justice within your own community, then you're really exporting like this this redefined gospel that is powerless, that is Western, that is anemic, and it's going to secularize the world Christianity because you're, you know, you're literally exporting what secularism means, living by your own power, by your own money, Mm -hmm. by your own drive and your own strategy. So a just mission is a call to church leaders, to believers, to lay down power and to embrace mutuality. And I did a lot of work to try not to give people the ABCs or the one, two, three steps, because that's such a Western method to be like, if you do A, B, C, right. then you're good. No, like whatever Jesus calls a few, mm. that is where you need to go. So I really want people to embrace that and to really live out the calling, reach your Jer- Jerusalem first with whatever Jesus called you to reach mm. them with, with the love of Christ, with the gospel. Mm. And then go to Judea, 
Samaria right. and to the end of the earth. Do not jump from Jerusalem to the end of the earth and call yourself a missionary. There's a process to it, you know? So that's what I would say. Uh, either people who are working on issues in Jerusalem and, <laughs> and yeah. all the all the other parts, you know, but not working on it in their Judea. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I see that a lot where, you know, um, and that was just some of the things, you know, I'm like, you know, when you know, when you talk about building wells and water crisis and that is the case in a, a, a lot of areas, you know, the access to um, to water. Um, but then I look at there's so many places also in the United States that we don't even realize that don't have yeah. clean water. Um, yeah. Flint being one. Um, and, what, yeah. and, you know, when we start talking about environmental injustice and geographical injustice, um, that racism has a legacy in so many different areas, but we're not as concerned about those. But the, some of the other things make us feel better about ourselves. And we have to look exactly. at, you know, then why are we doing it if we can't do it here? You know, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that it's an either or it's a both and. Yeah. and it's all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. you know, I see. um you know, even the work that we're doing in um, um, biblical reconciliation, um, mm-hmm. you see a lot of people that do that work, you know, in other countries um, mm-hmm. because there's no cost to them. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. That's easy. I I can throw money at that or do something and exactly. I don't have to live with it and I can nope. go back home and then live in your bubble, yeah, live in your yeah. bubble and not be a part of the solution here yes. in America when there's a need for that and the investment is not there because it's all entangled in our own um view of um worldview in our in our theology where it's yeah. costly here. It's very costly yes. here. And so and, yeah. Yeah. And the Western church is guilty of not helping disciples count the cost. Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said, count the cost. Right. And there were people that walked away. Yes. They were like, I'm not going to do this. Uh-huh. Right. We don't do that. Yeah. We do not. It's part of their discipleship should be people knowing what the cost is. Yeah. It's going to cost you your comfort, not just like your comfort, like not your comfortable home or whatever. Uh-huh. Like people are not trying to rob you, but your comfort yes. in thinking that the world revolves around mm. you and your problems. Like it's bigger than that. Yeah. And it's a call to, you know, carry the cross daily yes. and, you know, and follow Jesus. So if our churches are not helping believers count the cost, then it's on them. Yeah. It's on them. They're going to have to answer to the Lord. They're literally leading people away from the narrow path. Mm. And we have the obligation to let people know Christianity is this narrow path that you're being called to pursue Jesus and follow him daily. It's costly. It's not glamorous. It's not this like fancy Mm -hmm. thing we do. Mm -hmm. It, It costs you, but it is you find yourself, you find beauty, you find life and fulfillment when you do that. Mm-hmm. If we cannot disciple new believers in that way, then like it's on the church. The church has, you know, allowed people to literally waste their lives. And I don't think that by itself is an 
injustice, you know, to the gospel. So we really have to go back and re-examine the way we do things because it's it's not going to work. So good. And I think one of the other things, too, is just as I as I look at um, like, you know, I always say, you know, like when when was Jesus ever comfortable? Like I even have to remind myself mm-hmm. of that because we, you know, um, I tend I, I want comfort. Comfort is <laughs> secure, you know, in yes. a lot of ways. And we don't you know, we want security. And so we don't want, we we don't long for discomfort. So that's not something natural, but that's something that I have to seek out to do the just work, you know? And, um, and I think that's some of the, um, confusion that we get is that if it's, if, if, if it's uncomfortable, then it's wrong, you know, or, you know, or if it's costly, then it's wrong. Um, you know, and we really have to, you know, just with so much going on in the world, we really have to reimagine, um, you know, um, our faith and, 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 in the sense of, do we want Christian dominance? Um, Mm -hmm. is this about, um, empire, you know, a a world system, um, or, or there's definitely something when we say a kingdom mindset is totally different you know, of an empire mindset. And I think that's what a lot of, um, you know, is skewed in how we do missions and how we're doing church and just all the culture issues that we're having um, today. What are some of the things that you are hopeful for um, as it relates to the church and to missions right now? What are some of the things that you are hopeful for? Yeah. Um, so one thing about me is I'm hopeful, you know, in Jesus, like anything that is in scripture, I'm like, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I see today. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, Jesus is powerful. The go- The gospel is powerful and it's going to, you know, go into the world, whatever. But I think the thing I'm hopeful for is that truly like racial justice and reconciliation would lead the path to a diverse and more global Western church Mm -hmm. that's going to be able to participate in the global Mm -hmm. um, mission movement. So I think like the West should not sit it out. And I'm hopeful that, you know, with the work that you're doing and people like you are doing that God is preparing Mm -hmm. the hearts of the next generation Mm -hmm. to undertake the work of the gospel. So for me, racial justice is just a bridge to gospel work, Mm, you know, because if Mm. we can't sit in one room and care for one another and weep with one another, then we're not going to be able to have a body of Christ, you know, to live life with. So I'm hopeful as we're engaging more and more in bridge building work and that we're able to see Jesus through the eyes of someone that looks different from us, that our faith will be challenged. Our Christianity would be robust enough that we would be empowered to go and share the gospel with the world. And that it no longer looks like the West to the rest, but from everywhere to everywhere, right? That is not going to, Christianity is not going to be defined by political parties or by like whatever agenda the enemy has, but that we would be able to be defined by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and this power, you know, of the gospel that raised Mm. 
Jesus from the dead is what is going to exude out of us as we go out into the world and share the gospel. So when I see especially Gen Z, I'm like, we're good. We're good. <laughs> we're going to be able to do this. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like honestly, I just love their passion and zeal and like this um, unwavering desire to stand for justice. But I would say we really have to be able to help them kind of stay on the narrow path. And that's the work of racial justice mm-hmm. and reconciliation. Therefore, that the gospel has a way forward. If we cannot listen to each other, we cannot build God's kingdom together. Mm-hmm. So I am hopeful that we can do that. Yeah, that's so good. What are, What is something, and I normally ask this question before I ask the hopeful question, but what is something that um, you're lamenting now oh that's a good question i know i know it's like i mean there's so much to (laughs) to limit but also i think it's also i like to ask these questions because there is so much to lament but lament brings us hope you know yeah and so and there's Mm -hmm. also so much to hope for even when things seem hopeless if our our faith is in the one that gives hope you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. um, what is something, you know, um, yeah, that so you're lamenting? I would say the first thing that popped up, as you said, you know, there's a lot of things, but the first thing that popped up into my mind is, um, diaspora leaders who are so capable and mm. so brilliant and so in love with the Lord, not having the time of day or space or like the exposure to be able to lead mm. in this dialogue. Wow. I have so many friends that are African, that are Latino, that, you know, we talk about this stuff, but mm. at the end of the day, they're not given the space or, you know, just mm. the time to sit in rooms mm. that they're worthy of not just sitting in, but leading. Like if we could only open our ears to hear them, the solution is right there, but they're still sitting outside of, you know, the the room because maybe their accent is a little too thick or maybe because people are afraid that, oh, they're going to ask us for money. So they're not even willing to kind of approach them and um, have a conversation with them. So my heart breaks for, you know, um, just my friends, for example, in Ethiopia, that wish that the missionaries that come to them would not treat them as like, you know, tourist guides or whatever, mm-hmm. that they would at least listen to their vision and yeah. the, the you know, the desire that they have for their communities. Mm-hmm. So for the people that are sitting um, with so much ability, potential yeah. and power to change the world, but have not been given the mic mm-hmm. yet or, you know, the space yet, my heart goes out to mm-hmm. them. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And there's so many people. And I think, you know, as we're talking about doing any type of, um, you know, missions work, I think if you're not, if there's not people from that community at the table, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's something you have to think about. You know, I think um, Mm -hmm. the same thing when it, comes to church planning I think we have to reimagine and I'm thinking even as you were talking like how what missions truly is you know um, Mm -hmm. 
the sharing of the gospel and how it has taken on this, you know, the haves and the have not type mentality. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that stuff is cute in me too. And how I've been taught theology and what I've experienced. And it's like, you're bringing someone something that has nothing and, you know, and that's not true. And how we equate, equate, um, poverty. I mean, some of the most joyous, spirit-filled people that I've ever witnessed and seen are those that we would see that would think we would think they're because they're economically in poverty mm-hmm. that they're without Jesus, but really they have yeah. more to give. And I remember sitting at a um, table of um, you know just Rwanda saying, "You guys are." way more qualified first of all you're way more most of the women at that table were way more educated you know mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but you know seemed a, a little inferior because we because of american exceptionalism because exactly. of americans where mm-hmm. you could run circles around us you know exactly. and um exactly. and just having to infuse that so i think that is also the prayer prayer is that um that people will would stand in in that power that God has mm-hmm. given them to, and if it's not for people creating a space at the table or um, or making room or passing the mic, that you mm-hmm. would create the space for yourself, that you would build yes. your own table, Amen. and that mm-hmm. you would snatch the mic. <laughs> <laughs> you <Yes>. know, <laughs> Amen. and so I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so, you know, basically you. what you, what you've done, you know, Mekdes, it's like Thank you've, you. um, you know, you've snatched the mic and you've, um, ignited something here and you've created, um, a tool, a book that's going to help people, um, yeah. um, um, coming from someone, um, that has experience in it and it's not like yes. you know i'm just gonna say it it's not like a white missionary telling us what to do and what not to do exactly <laughs> you know <laughs> this is a part of your lived experience and i think that's yes. just um this is a part of snatching the mic and Amen. um and and giving a deeper understanding um mm-hmm. to truly what missions is and um how it's intri- intricately connected um to the gospel it, it, it you know it, in essence it's everything that that jesus did you know um you know mm-hmm. we wouldn't be here without it <laughs> like yeah. it's so yeah. we have to realize western culture had to be what yes. you say missionized like people yeah. had to be sent um yes. you know um you know for you to um be brought into the gift of salvation, you know? That's and true. so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I was grateful for you, grateful for your voice, grateful for the work that you're doing, looking forward to some of the work that you're doing, um, mm-hmm. now, um, in the new organization that you're, you're, you're in. And so, um, all, so all of you, this book, um, comes out in September, um, and September the 27th, I think mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. exact. Um, so a just mission, uh, where all books are sold and we will have all the information in the, um, show notes. So thank you so much for spending time with the be the bridge community. Um, this is one of our fellow, um, um, bridgers as we would say, and we're so grateful for your heart and your passion. And, um, thank 
thank you for um, just continuing to come along. So I got um, the great work that God is already doing, and I'm just so being obedient in, in that. So thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.